Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old-fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Hi everybody, welcome along to this week's patrons-only episode of The Dispatches podcast. A huge welcome to all those who are new patrons this week. This is the uh, special episode of the podcast that is published just for you. So it's exclusive to you, our $5 or more per month patrons of of Left Foot Media. A huge thank you to you. Uh, You guys are awesome. If you're not sure how best to listen to this, if you're listening on a computer right now and you're thinking, gosh, I can listen to the other episodes on my phone. Well, the good news is if you download the Patreon app, you can listen that way. Uh, And it's, you know, just like your any of your, I guess, regular podcast listening apps, you know, you can start playing, lock your phone, put it in your pocket, go for a walk, and uh, and the podcast follows you and all those other wonderful things that people do with podcasts. So the Patreon app from the App Store is really probably the best way to listen to this. Uh, just a quick uh, preview about what is coming up this week on the free-to-air episodes of the podcast before I jump into today's topic. Uh, We're going to be talking about two issues this week, well, unless something drastic happens between now and then. The first one I want to touch on is the whole issue of churches and vaccine mandates and why I think any form of vaccine passport uh, situation or system, why there are some big problems, why they are incompatible with Christian churches and why there would be some really serious problems with churches engaging in those kinds of behaviours. And the second issue uh, I want to talk about is actually it's a bit of an in-depth book review about a book that I've just finished reading, an excellent book called What Really Happened in Wuhan. And it's a book that I highly recommend, but I'm going to go into in a bit more detail uh, talking about that book and its subject matter because it's so hugely important and it has a lot of profound implications uh, in all of what's going on here. So that's what's coming up later on this week in the free-to-air episodes. Right, let's jump in to today's topic of conversation, which I have called From Super Saturday to Black Friday. So you remember, well, it was just over a week ago, wasn't it? We had our Super Saturday vaccination drive in New Zealand, and then by Friday, things had gone rather dark. We had gone from this very optimistic upbeat, let's go team, go rah, rah, rah approach to these issues, to all of a sudden by Friday, it was very dark and um, something happened in our country that I can, I've never seen happen in my lifetime. Uh, And to me, it was just, um, it left me astounded. Uh, It has left me extremely concerned. Um, because what happened was not good, and I mean not good in the extreme. It was just, in fact, it was repugnant. I think it was evil what happened. Um, I, I wanted to actually, before I commented on any of this, I wanted to take a few days and, you know, Labor weekend, have a long weekend, uh, you know, spend some time with my family, be a normal human being, and and just gather my thoughts a little bit as well. I didn't want to rush off in a hurry and just, you know, <laughs> I was so tempted on Friday to actually hit record and publish an extra episode of the podcast last week, but I decided it was a more prudent course of action just to stop and, and, and actually you know, consider this a bit more deeply. So that's what I've done, and that's what today's episode is going to be focusing on. Um, it's going to be, I, I want to say, it's almost like a bit of a stream of consciousness, today's episode. It's not, 
but uh, it's not necessarily something that follows a, um, <laughs> a you know a, a beginning, middle, and an end. There's going to be some non-linear podcasting today. It's just I'm going to be sharing my various thoughts, and I've tried to sort of group this into three main categories as I go. Um, I, I, but I think it's it's just so important. I really felt that it was just so important to to um, I guess to have or to let people know what my thoughts are on this. Uh, I was going to say start a conversation, but in a sense, I suppose, but maybe an an interior conversation for all of us that we start thinking through and conversing with others even about these issues and thinking a bit more deeply about what actually happened last Friday. Like I said, I've never seen anything like this before in my time. I've, I've certainly had politicians and prime ministers that I've disagreed with, Uh, you know, policies that have made me angry or sad or concerned or whatever it might be. But I've never, ever seen a prime minister, certainly in this country, act with such open, unjustified and dangerous hostility towards the people that she is supposed to be governing. It it was just like this was this was an active division of our society. What happened? That's why I'm calling it Black Friday. Because it, it is a moment that will go down in history one way or another. And it is a moment that deserves to go down history as a serious black mark on the history of our country. Because it wasn't good. It absolutely was not good. Nothing, nothing justifies the way things went down on Friday and, and the substance of what's now going on in our country. Just this morning, in fact, I got a phone call from someone, a I won't give away any details and, and betray any confidences, but I got a phone call from someone who is now grappling with these particular issues. And really, as a, a big result of what happened on Friday, the stakes have now been amplified quite seriously within their family home over this in a major way. Now, previously, there were people within our homes, obviously, and families who would have had disagreements and would have been coming to different conclusions. But now what's happened is because of the the... Really, it was cruel, I think, what happened on Friday. It was atrocious. It was a serious failure of leadership. What's happened is there is a, we've moved from cooperation, which should be the norm with leadership, to command. I will tell you what to do. And when that happens, and particularly in situations like this, things tend to get ugly. And what actually happened on Friday was these repugnant social divisions were actively fostered and outright lies were told. Um... Some say, oh, the mask has finally slipped. Others are saying, oh, you know, they're under pressure and things are getting worse. I don't know which is which, but one thing I do know is that what's happened here is extremely serious and it's extremely bad. Um, yeah, as I said, outright lies were told. You know, you, you know, the vaccinated need to be protected from the unvaccinated. So that, that, that line of reasoning, that uh, type of rhetoric, what it does is straight away it sets up class divisions and it sets up um, serious hostility between groups in our society. They aren't just a group who disagree with you now, according to the Prime Minister. They are an active threat to your health and safety, to your well-being, to your uh, life. That, that's about as extreme as it gets. This is how you talk about enemies. This, this is, it's serious. It really is serious. But what's happened is a lot of people have been like frogs boiling in a pot in a myopic soup of uh, unjustified extreme fear-mongering and now this feels normal. It's not normal. It shouldn't be happening. If we weren't in this myopic soup uh, of, of, of fear and panic, then I guarantee you we would be a lot more alert to this. 
Like if this happened uh, a year ago, even, probably we'd be a lot more alert to this. But what's happened is it's been a slowly increased sort of, the dial has been turned up slowly to the point now where we're not recognising what are actually quite serious changes because they are happening incrementally bit by bit. And this was really serious. And yeah, as I said, it's an outright lie. If, if you're vaccinated, then if the vaccine works, then there's no risk for you, right? Being around an unvaccinated person, the unvaccinated person who's, is the one who's actually got the burden of risk in that situation because if they catch COVID off you, which they can do, then they don't have the protective mechanism that you have. So it's an outright lie to claim that uh, unvaccinated people are a threat. That, that, that the vaccinated need to be protected against. But that happened. And as I said, I got this phone call this morning from a person who is now grappling with this in a, in a very serious way because what happened on Friday was it ratcheted everything up. It, it, it just it did everything you don't want to do in a crisis. Turned up the heat, turned up the fear, turned up the pressure. All of the things you don't want to do in a crisis. Our government, our prime minister came out and did this. It was cruel. It was evil. It was a serious failure of leadership. And now you've got situations where people in marriages and family homes and, and all sorts of relationships are now under threat because it's not just, as I said, a disagreement now. Now people have got their ability to feed their family and to pay a mortgage at stake. They're under that level of threat. And you imagine what happens in a family home where you might have a bit of what previously was just disagreement has now turned into the fact that if one person follows their conscience and tries to make a prudential decision not to get vaccinated that could well end up in the loss of income, the loss of a family home. We're talking about now situations where, you know, children possibly being excluded from being with other friends if people take this to its logical conclusion. All of that sort of stuff will do such great harm to our society, and it's far worse than what COVID will ever do. Far worse. The toll of this and what happened on Friday, the, the, it's, it's extreme and it's serious. It is... It's a serious failure of leadership. There's no other way to put this. So let me just jump in then to the, the three uh, sort of categories, if you like, of, of uh, different points that I have of, of, and, and ways of sort of dissecting and thinking about this issue and what's happened. So first of all, there's the question of evidence around what happened on Friday. So I look at these new uh, restrictions and regulations and this new fancy traffic light system uh, the first thing I think is what evidence is there to support a wholesale change of strategy, like a drastic wholesale change of strategy to something very new and different to what you've previously had, which even though we might have had disagreements about it, it, it was pretty straightforward up until the recent Auckland fiasco where they started inserting new clauses and things. But, but it was a pretty straightforward, you know, level one, two, three. It was, it was sort of a pretty straightforward approach to things. What evidence-based justification is there for making such a wholesale change in the middle of a pandemic and introducing a whole new and, in its own way, complex system that now must be learned and adhered to? There, I don't think there would be any, would there? Normally that's the kind of thing you do when you're in absolute panic mode. It's Hail Mary moment. You don't know what else to do, so you throw a Hail Mary pass. It, 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 it doesn't seem there's any evidence even for making this kind of wholesale change, but here we are nonetheless. But let's, let's think about some of the specifics that we've got going on here. First of all, why, why a 90% uh, vaccination rate? Like it, it, I, I'm, I'm doing my best to try and sort of keep on top of all of the various data that's coming out about this and what around the world what we're seeing. And 
there doesn't seem to be anywhere in the world yet that has given us a clear insight to say, yes, this is the magic number you need to achieve with vaccinations for uh, herd immunity. Um, so why, why 90%? Why, why is that the gold standard? What, what's the evidence for that? I, I, I don't think there is evidence. I think what they're doing is they're sort of hoping that 90% is a, is a number that will attain, you know, you've got what, what's happening is I think is almost certainly you'd have predictive modeling happening and predictive modeling is only as good as the data you put in. And that data, if you've got no way of drawing on a, a, a reliable source of, of, um, you know, past information, you know, evidence you can look back on, it's, it is at 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 best. It is just a best uh, sort of guess scenario. It's it's not even robust. So, you know, we're hinging everything, and and we're. It's not just simply. It's. I think it's different if you just got a strategy that's sort of working to a ninety percent target. But once you start imposing really draconian and punitive measures, like threatening people's ability to earn a living, for example, threatening their ability to function in society, and you're imposing those kind of extreme measures based on on what at this stage is hopeful guessing, there's a problem. There's a line that's been crossed. That's that's not an evidence-based approach for the vaccine passport or the vaccine mandate regime. It's just not. Uh, think about some of the the, the things that are going to be involved in all of this. Uh, we we know that if according to what we've been told. If you get to that 90% vaccination target, then you go straight into the orange light setting. I think apart from Auckland, I think Auckland stays in a red light setting. In fact, I think if I understand it correctly for that for Auckland, what that means is that in some cases they'll actually be worse off. But you go, uh, so most of the rest of us will go into an orange light setting. But have a think about what that means. So under the orange light setting, if you have gatherings and you don't enforce a vaccine passport system, then you are allowed a maximum of 50 people in the room. So you're allowed gatherings no bigger than 50 people if you don't enforce vaccine passports. And that is under a 90% vaccination rate. So 90% of your local population is vaccinated, and that's the outcome of it. Okay, so if this is evidence-based, then why currently with much lower vaccination rates than 90%, why is it that you're allowed 100 people in a room without a vaccine passport system? How does that make any logical sense? How and what and where is the evidence for any of this? Uh, there is no evidence, let me tell you that right now. There's no evidence. Any sane, rational, logical thinking person can see that there's no evidence. This is purely punitive. This is an attempt by the government to punish people into submission. It's obscene, absolutely obscene. Punishment should be reserved rightly for the doers of evil deeds, not people striving to make prudential decisions in extreme and under extreme duress in, a, in the middle of a global pandemic and a myopic fixation on, on all of this and fear-mongering and everything else. People trying to make the best prudential decisions for themselves and their own personal bodies around medical therapies. This is just such a clear violation of bodily integrity. It's not funny. And it just should not be happening. But that's what is happening. And, and so it's a punitive policy. It's not an evidence-based safety policy, that's for sure. 
Um, the policy will also allow you, once you use a vaccine passport system, to bring huge numbers of people together in one place. Again, let, let's work through the actual facts on the ground. What we know is that you can still contract and transmit COVID if you are vaccinated. So at that point, because that can still happen, it becomes a numbers game. So what you don't want to do, I would have thought if you're being evidence-driven, if you're being fact-based in your approaches, you would not want to bring large groups of people together even if they have a vaccine passport. It's going to be much safer to have a hundred people maximum in a room, for example, without vaccination, than it will be to have, say, 5,000 people together at a music festival or some other big concert event who all have vaccine passports but are still capable of transmitting COVID. Because what you've done is you've increased the risk by increasing the numbers. So... How is this? Again, how is this evidence? It's not. It's not. There's no evidence about this. This is, as I said, this is purely punitive. People are being punished. And there's no legitimate justification. This is a grave injustice. To punish people who are not doing evil is immoral. It is just that simple. It's an abject failure of governance on multiple levels. And most importantly of all, first and most important, is the moral failing in this then, of course, you'd have to say the practical and the prudential failings in all of this. We also know that, and we've known for a long time, that vaccination uptake is far better if you don't threaten and coerce and you know, punish people into submission. The, the, the evidence for this is long-standing, that vaccine programs work better when we don't do those kinds of things to people. And yet here, we haven't just done those kinds of things. We've gone to the extreme with this particular policy. The, the, this, is not, this is not science. This is not evidence-based health care. This is not moral health care. It's none of those things. It is pure politics in the worst kind of way. It's pure, raw and I would call it an abuse of power that we're seeing going on in our country. Second category of things that I think are worth considering are some of the specifics about this particular policy. So when I look at the traffic light conditions, the, the what, what should we call them, the weather conditions, the roading conditions that have to actually be present before you go into various stages of this uh, brave new world of the traffic lights is uh, that the conditions around it, you know, like the following conditions have to be met and then you're in an orange light situation. They're actually still vague. It doesn't say, for example, you know, ICU as it is at 80% uh, capacity. Then, you know, you move into a light, uh, the next light or, or, you know, you've got uh, uh, so many cases and, 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 and it's getting worse. You know, th there's um, none of that sort of stuff. It is, the conditions are, you know, things like statements like when there's pressure on the, or increasing pressure on the healthcare system, you know, it's like, well, yeah, but what, what's, what does that mean? That's, that's a very subjective and broad definition that means that you could have these things kicking in all over the place without any real clear um, insight into, into, well, what, what is the criteria here that we're actually working with? One glaring thing that stuck out to me is, 
where is the off switch? Where is the lights are off now? Because there is nothing that indicates the lights are going off. Where is that switch? That should have been surely included in any system like this. This is long overdue now. It is long overdue for us to actually have clarity on when these draconian and, and serious levels of state overreach will come to an end. There's no clarity on that. Look, I think anyone who's a rational person can live with the state having to take emergency measures uh, given uh, you know, a situation of crisis. But what we should also expect is very, very clear and definite boundaries about what are the conditions that will bring about an end to those emergency measures and that state overreach. And we don't have that at the moment. It's not there. It's not present. So where is the off switch in this? The green light system, which is seemingly the, you know, it's the top tier, it's the best placed uh, position to be in right now, but that is not actually the best place to be in at all, overall. You know, th there should not be an ongoing situation in a society where, uh, let's say, for example, you know, pandemic sicknesses is, is all under control and you're still having to produce vaccine passports uh, or, or require passports just to gather together in groups of, of um, more than 100 people. <laughs> Why would that be the case? So where is the off switch? Where is the off switch in all this? It's nowhere near. And, and, and it's, that, by the way, that's long overdue. This has gone on long enough now. This has gone on long enough, and it's time we started demanding some more serious accountability of our government about exactly why they are behaving the way they are and when they plan to stop behaving in this fashion. Because quite frankly, I think that's the least of the things that we can expect right now. It's the bare minimum that we should have as a bottom line. Well, okay, you believe and your cadre of unelected experts believe this is the way to fight this virus. That's, that's one thing. But the, the next thing is, when exactly does this all come to an end? When exactly does this all come to an end? Like what? And I, I realize that might not be a, a date because these things are a movable feast. But what are the conditions? Give clarity and 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 an absolute promise and a surety that this will come to an end. Because at the moment I don't see that anywhere, and that's a, that's not a good situation to be in. Uh, there doesn't seem to be, when I look at the specifics, any distinction being made, or well, there isn't, between outdoor and indoor gatherings. What, what, why wouldn't you make that distinction when, again, the evidence is clear that outdoor transmission does not seem to be a thing with this pandemic, and on top of that, New Zealand is actually about to move into a, a period of summer. So that's another thing that we've got on our side. So surely there would be distinctions made between indoor and outdoor gatherings. An indoor gathering, even with one metre social distancing, is still carries, according to what we know about this virus, is it, it carries more risk than an outdoor gathering with one metre social distancing. So why wouldn't that factor into this situation? What happens if we don't get to 90% in a DHB? What happens if a DHB gets to 88% and then just stalls, or the whole country gets to 88% and just stalls on 88%? Will we just stall in that 88% and the, the traffic light system will never even see the light of day? How does that, how does that make any sense at all? 
And then, of course, there is the fact that something rather strange happened over the weekend. A, a new vaccine exemption clause appeared in the whole vaccine mandate arena. And it seems to be, on the face of it, extremely broad. So it, it refers to people having to have a vaccination unless it is inappropriate. That's the word, inappropriate for them to do so uh, for health or other reasons. So presumably that means that you could go to your GP and say, look, it's inappropriate for me to have this vaccination because I will be uh, so psychologically scarred by being compelled. Or people saying, look, I'm waiting for Novavax, so it's inappropriate for me to be vaccinated right now because I'm waiting for Novavax uh, or some other vaccine technology and, and I'll, I want that technology. So therefore it would be inappropriate for you to be vaccinated right now with the Pfizer vaccine. So this rather vague uh, and broad-looking exemption clause, which no one was expecting apparently, has suddenly appeared in the legislation, which makes me wonder, is, is so much of this just political kabuki theatre, where you've, you've got the Prime Minister playing these silly and very dangerous games up the front, and then behind the scenes there's all these sort of loopholes that people can exploit. So they pretend to be, that they are paper tyrants. And, and in some ways there's actually a lot more danger with a paper tyrant and, and that, that, that this, because it creates all of this vague uncertainty. But here's the thing about this exemption clause. If it applies to vaccine mandates, then presumably it would also apply to vaccine passports. So a person who carries an exemption, surely they will be allowed to enter into activities alongside the vaccinated, wouldn't they? Because otherwise, how unjust would it be to say, let's say a person has a medical exemption from being vaccinated and they are told, no, you're not allowed to be in here either, even though you can't be vaccinated. So presumably any official vaccine exemption will also apply to the vaccine passport system. This is all just so vague and uncertain. And, and again, it just it speaks volumes about how this government has conducted itself through this process and how we've got a bunch of world leaders who are now so used to faking it and telling lies and playing the silly cult of celebrity game. Look at me. I'm the special one. And, and I, 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 I'm, I look good. You should vote for me. They're so used to living in that mode um, that now in a time of crisis, it is just such a disaster. It is an absolute disaster. What you actually need are leaders with character. Uh, obviously, I think a life experience really helps there too. But I think definitely leaders with character over celebrity is what you need right now. And, and this is really proving why that is the case. Third and final category of, of thoughts about all of this, and I guess that's the upshot and some sort of commentary about all of it. I think what happened on Friday, it's uh, again, the reason I'm calling it Black Friday is I think this has actually made things worse, a lot worse. And because it's made things a lot worse, that means it's a lot less safe now. Previously, if, if you've got what you want, and I don't think any sane person would dispute this, but in a state of crisis is what you want is high levels of a communal cooperation between people in a society. What you don't want are very clear demarcations and divisions that are serious and that are really are serious. 
not, not, not just sort of artificial or minor divisions. They, they always occur in society. You know, the people who like peanut butter versus the people who don't like peanut butter. It's, it's, it's a minor division, right? It doesn't really mean anything. But what you don't want is this serious level of division, and it's a class system, and a, and a form of it is a form of apartheid that's been instituted by your government along medical decision-making. You don't want that. That surely is a recipe to undermine uh, safe and effective combating of the threat of COVID. It's actually made things less safe. It's, things are worse now because of this. It's made everything worse. And it's just not good. It's almost certainly fueling conspiracies right now. As soon as I saw this all unfold, I knew straight away what was going to happen. There were going to be a lot of people who were going to immediately assume the worst about what is going on here. Because I can tell you right now that the best case scenario is that we have a bunch of dictators in power who are trying to force their will upon us because they're petrified and they're desperate to get out of the situation. Um, a slightly less worst case scenario or, or best case scenario is that they're just totally inept and so inept that they just, you know, they just don't even know what they're doing. They're just, they're just doing anything because they're not sure what to do. The, 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 the bad scenario is, of course, the conspiracy theory uh, scenario. And that's why what happened on Friday, it, well, that's why this is all of a sudden being given an extra a boost. It's been given its uh, COVID conspiracy theory booster shot. This is it right here, what's happened here. It, it's almost certainly uh, given rise to more vaccine hesitancy, I would have thought. I suspect people who otherwise could have been reasonably engaged with and reached out to and and just had the option put on the table and, and then eventually had themselves come around to that option. I think those doors, a lot more of them will now be closed. Um, this has absolutely destroyed informed consent for a lot of people. I've already seen very clear examples of this. People saying, I didn't want the Pfizer vaccine. I was I had chosen to wait for uh, another vaccine technology. And, the, and some of them had very specific ideas like Novavax, for example, in mind. And now they're saying, but I'm going to get this one because otherwise I won't be able to operate my, my business without it. That's not informed consent. That's someone who's been threatened with the loss of their income and livelihood if they don't uh, engage in a medical therapy. And that is not right. It's extremely serious how this is, um, this is completely undermined informed consent. In fact, not just that, but talking to people, it's clear that people are now have been thrown into a state of um, serious... Um, turmoil over this and, and around their decision making and their discernment and th there's two types of turmoil that you can find yourself in when you're making a decision one is sort of natural turmoil if you're in a like, let's say let's say you were diagnosed with a terminal illness and they said look we we need to make a decision because the you know the clock is ticking that that's a that's a form of pressure that you're under that has arisen because of the situation but if your doctor or your family start actively coercing you and threatening you that if you don't make this particular decision, then, you know, then it's going to cost you your livelihood or they're going to boot you out the family home or the doctor's not going to treat you anymore. Then all of a sudden you've got extreme and unhealthy coercion that's coming upon you that should never be happening. It just shouldn't be happening. This is not right. But the reason a lot of people aren't recognizing the immoral and dangerous nature of all of this kind of um, coercion is because, as I said, we've been like fro frogs boiling in a pot. And so we're in this state of myopic fear-mongering, where if we weren't in this situation, everyone would rightly say, what are you doing? What's going on here? You shouldn't be doing that to people. 
No one should be making health care decisions in a state of crisis that the crisis is being imposed upon them. It's not arising from a health care crisis. That the crisis is being caused by things other than their health. This isn't good. It isn't healthy. It's, it's just not good at all. Another upshot of this is that this is clearly a form of scapegoating on the part of the government. They are scapegoating an entire class of New Zealand citizens who have done nothing wrong. They haven't done anything immoral. They haven't done anything evil. These people there now, though, are being scapegoated. They have become the target of the government's ire. They're no longer targeting COVID as the enemy. Now they are targeting citizens as the enemy of the people. This is just so very, very wrong and very, very dangerous. And I would suggest to you that one of the reasons why this is comfortable for governments to do is because what it does is it gets them to shift the blame away from their own failings. No one's looking at what they have failed to do and how they have failed to properly bolster and protect and prepare the healthcare system for what is primarily a virus. If you've got healthcare capacity that's good enough, you can move through this virus, even if you didn't have a vaccine. But because we haven't even really kept up with basic standards here in New Zealand in that regard, we're now in a far worse position. The government, it's quite convenient for them to have a very small group of the population uh, in terms of percentage numbers who are being scapegoated and blamed for all of this. It's a way of shifting the blame. And then, by the way, going forward, you also get to call back on that, uh, that scapegoat again when your vaccine uh, mandate and compulsion and, and if things don't pan out the way that you want them to and the cases keep climbing high, then, then what you do is you, you get to go back to the original scapegoat and just blame them for it all. There's no real accountability in any of this. It's extremely dangerous and extremely immoral. One of the other issues for me in all of this is the, just the great level of fantasy and delusion around all of these claims. This whole notion of, you know, first of all, the fantasy of thinking that the government owns you in this way and that you know, your, your freedoms will be given back to you and all this kind of crazy talk. But even more so, the, the, the delusional sort of nature of thinking that, well, you know, once you get to your 90%, that suddenly you're going to find this newfound level of freedom again. You know, you'll get your summer back, you'll get your freedoms back, you'll get your life back. Here's, we need to actually just get our head in the game here because the way the system has been set up now, that's not going to happen because it's so clear. Even if you just read the traffic light system, once you get to the 90%, if you've got a high number of cases, you're not going to be in a state of freedom at all. You're just not. It's so clear that that's the case. And what are we going to have in New Zealand? Well, barring a miracle, we're going to have ongoing high numbers of cases as this thing just spreads throughout the country. And so there's not going to be this whole notion of it's, it's a fantasy to think that this is somehow it's, it's, it's literally like a, a someone dangling a carrot in front of you. Uh, you know, the old the old image of someone riding on the back of a horse or a donkey dangling a carrot in front of them with a with a pole. And, and you keep walking towards it, but you're never actually getting any closer to it. And I would say that's a very, very likely outcome of all of this, because I can't see how it, you can have, <laughs> when you look at the traffic light system, to have high numbers of cases and to have people going about their business. Those two things don't go together according to what the traffic light system says and, and the case that it makes. 
So, I mean, just look at what happened the very next day. So we get this big divisive Black Friday moment, and then the very next day we have a case, a very weak positive, uh, that's come from the North Island flu into Blenheim. And what, what happened? In the papers and the health officials, what was the official advice? They said, if you've got symptoms, even if you're fully vaccinated, you need to go and get a test. That sentence right there is the sentence which completely exposes and destroys the myth and the absurdity of vaccine passports and vaccine mandates. The fact that you can still contract and transmit the virus. The fact that even if you're fully vaccinated, you still need to be tested when you get the symptoms because you could still have and pass on the virus to other people. One other thing that I was thinking about as I was, I was reflecting on this is, have they actually given up on the zero COVID fantasy? Have they given up on that? Or is this the, the new zero COVID? Is this a... Because even if this is not strictly speaking a new zero COVID strategy, I get the feeling that the ghost of zero COVID haunts the hallways of this new strategy. I really get that sense that it hasn't quite been put to bed here yet. And and there's sort of there's just these overtones of this and all of this. Uh, and if that's the case, that's not a not a good thing. Another thing that isn't good is that we have and now in a really extreme way, we are now deferring to the Prime Minister, all of us. The entire country is now at the beck and call of the Prime Minister around our basic movements and freedoms and gatherings and jobs and livelihoods and medical decision making. All of that now is deferred to the Prime Minister. That is extremely disordered. There's no other way to put that. That is disordered. But that's what's happened. And we've willingly gone along with it. The reason we've willingly gone along with it is because we're so petrified. There's this constant myopic fear-mongering that's gone on around this to a point now where we're so petrified of it that we're doing things that aren't actually rational. And we, on top of that, we have this sort of mentality today of, look, quickly, somebody save me. And so we've got this PM who has set herself up in this way and we are now deferring. The entire nation is deferring to one person uh, in a way that really shouldn't be happening. It just shouldn't be happening. We have moved as a result of this Black Friday from mere consequentialism and utilitarianism, which is a bad enough problem in and of itself. It's a flawed, terribly flawed moral philosophy. The end justifies the means. You know, you can justify anything as long as you get a good outcome in your mind. But we've moved from that now to active hostility and targeting of people in our society. An entire group of people have now become the scapegoats, as I said. They have now become the dangerous enemy who are a threat to all of us that we must be protected from. This is so reminiscent of what happened post 9-11, where all of a sudden all Muslims became the enemy. This is so reminiscent of what happened during World War II when every Japanese-American became the enemy, right, of the people, became the threat. I could keep going, but you get the point that this is this is a pattern of behavior that you don't want happening in your society. And this is not happening organically. This has happened because our government instituted this on Black Friday. Um, it, it's, it's just evil and it's wrong and it's just so dangerous. I don't know how much and how often I have to say that. 
but for people to be sitting there going, oh, it's no, it's no big deal, it's all good, who just not processing the very serious danger of all of this, to me, that's really alarming. It's really alarming. I mean, I'd like to, I'm not, a, I'm a student of history, so I know, and I've known for a long time that this was a very likely outcome in, in any societal situation, that we all like to think that most people would rise up against Hitler, or if that happened today, or that we would at least. But in actual fact, the truth of history is that most people don't. Um, they tend to go along with, and what happens is most people don't recognize the danger when it's present. We tend to get comfortable in this way, and we tend to uh, underestimate the risk, overestimate the, the level of protection and safety we have against these things within our societies. So what's happened is, as I said, it's, it's not just conversations that, that there were lots of trolley car and lifeboat conversations previously. You know, trolley, the old trolley car problem, if you've got a train that's out of control and there's two tracks it could go down, if you pull a lever, one track will, that, it, that you send the, the trolley car down will kill 100 people, the other track you send it down uh, will kill maybe five people. You know, do you pull the lever or not? Or the old lifeboat thing. You've got a lifeboat, you've only got so many spaces in the lifeboat. Who do you save and why do you save them? So we've gone from those sorts of conversations. The end justifies the means. Will, you know, <laughs> to, to quote from that uh, hot fuzz uh, comedy film uh, about the British police officers in that small little village where all the murders are taking place, uh, you know, by the local, what is it, the local... Um, I was going to say hospitality committee, but I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but the local town committee are actually killing people to maintain the, the reputation of the small town and it's uh, sort of its, uh, you know, its high-ranked tourist profile. And, uh, and they, they gather at their meetings with these black robes on and it's this quasi-religious experience where they're all quoting and chanting, for the greater good, for the greater good. And that's what I hear happening here. And so we've moved from that, though, a situation where people are confusing morality with mathematics and they think that morality is about a mathematical equation when it is absolutely nothing of the sort. You know, how many people can we save? Well, then, then that's what we should do. That's not morality, that's maths, folks. Um, but we've moved from that to a situation now where we are actively targeting people. There is active hostility being directed at people and it's being done by our Prime Minister. There's no excuses for this. There's no escaping that fact. That's what's going on here. This effectively, and this is the thing that really worries me the most about all of this, is um, that this has given permission to the, quote-unquote, the brown shirts who were just looking for an excuse to go out and to start acting on the marching orders they have now been given by our Prime Minister. I am already seeing people, and most alarmingly of all, I've even seen this from people who claim to be Christians, who are saying that if you've made the choice not to get vaccinated and you turn up to a hospital, you shouldn't get treatment. I had to do a double take when I read someone who posted that the other day. I couldn't believe it. That, that's, that, that's what this does. This is the brown shirt that you unleash. The brown shirts get unleashed. When your, your leaders do this, they have given permission to people to engage in, and that's the next step in this. And that's one thing that really worries me. Are we going to end up with a situation where people are turning up to hospitals and all of a sudden you're going to have a situation where the, the, the system has been so corrupted by this immoral and divisive thinking that it's actually going to deny people basic moral health care, that it's going to end up with a situation where Hippocratic medicine is being violated left, right and centre. Like that's a very real possibility, and it would be naive to think that it's not.
the conditions with the virus and the outbreak just have to get to a certain point where that um, that possibility is a very real likelihood in all of this. This is it's repugnant. It's evil. Like I said, it's black. This was Black Friday. That really was, and and hopefully now this all makes sense to you, and, and is why I'm calling it Black Friday, and and it'll give you some clarity about how I feel. Just one last thing I want to say though is this, and I, I think this is this is really important, and that is the fact that I think we've got to actually try and navigate our way through this. And so people who are people of goodwill, well, how do you navigate it? It's one thing to point out and highlight this was Black Friday and this was a problem, but what do you do? What, what do people of goodwill do? Well, I think what we've got to do is the most important thing is to, uh, we've got to actually build local community around ourselves that is not going to buy into this nonsense. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. One is you can't do this on your own. No man is an island. And it's true, no man is an island. And you certainly can't be an island in a time of crisis. Uh, you need people around you to keep you sane, to keep you rational, to keep you balanced, to keep you in perspective and to keep you checking, you know, your your compass heading. Because if you're on your own in a time of crisis and you're isolated, it's very easily for your compass bearing to, to start. Even if it wanders off by half a degree or a degree, you will end up in the wrong place and you don't want to be in that situation. And having a community around you helps to keep that focus. It helps you to get your head out of the myopic fear-mongering that's going on. It helps to give you, that helps to give you a bit more clarity and wisdom and prudence and decision-making. And I think also what will happen is as this wears on and this madness just carries on, uh, one of the great dangers really too in all of this is that when the, the bubble, the fantasy bubble is burst and people realize, well, we've got 90% or let's say 95% vaccinated and we're still stuck in the mud and we're mired and bogged down and we can't get out of it. And all these promised freedoms were just, a, a, they're like dust in the wind. They're illusions and they, they were never delivered. You're going to have a lot of angry people in that situation. And so what you're going to need is you're going to need a community around you. You're going to need communities of calm, of people who always had their, their, their morals fixed on the right heading, who had a good functioning moral compass and who will actually offer society a vision for how to react for when that disappointment um, breaks upon us. And I think also, I think those communities of, of, of morality and genuine care and compassion that resist this kind of evil, they will become a magnet to people. People will be drawn to them as more people find themselves uh, disenfranchised by all of this and they're not sure what to do. They will have places, little oases of oases. Is that a word? I'm not even sure. Oases. <laughs> they will have around them somewhere an oasis of of calm and compassion and morality that they can they can flee to, if you like, to try and um, you know navigate their way through this. So I think that's a really really important point. Don't just um, stand in the face of, of of the darkness and scream at it, as the old Chinese proverb would say you should light a candle. And so the way to light a candle, I think, is to ensure that you've got good community around you. So that's all I want to say on this week's exclusive patron-only episode of the podcast. I hope it's been clarifying or perhaps challenging, if not clarifying for you. It's, it's made you think in some way about these issues a bit more deeply. Uh, hopefully it's been helpful for you in ordering your thoughts uh, as we sort of navigate this most trying and now more troublesome of situations. Uh, don't forget, if you want uh, others to, to get access to this episode, you think there's some merit in this, then anyone can access it. If they become a patron of Left Foot Media, they get access to this and all the other exclusive patron-only episodes of the podcast as well. So you can share the link with them 
And once they become a patron, they'll be able to tune in and have a listen for themselves. I think that's all I want to say for today. One last thing, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you next time on The Dispatches. Mm -hmm.